All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started in our lesson this morning. Father, we praise You for another day to be able to come into Your house with Your people, surrounded Your Word, opening it up. And Father, we just uh, are hungry and thirsty for You. We ask, Father, that You meet with us. May Your Holy Spirit be present to teach us and guide us into the truth of Your Word. Enable us to accurately handle Your Word. And Father, we just pray that You'll just um, be like Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus and hear His words, apply Your truth to our life, do a change within us as only You can do. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright. Anybody know what we're teaching on? The Gospels. The God. Harmony of the Gospels, thankfully. So that means I won't have to start from the beginning now. So, Harmony of the Gospels. So we're looking at the life of John the Baptist. Going to try to complete uh, his life uh, this morning. And uh, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 1 again. Um, John chapter 1 gives us quite a bit of information concerning John the Baptist. And during our study of the harming of the Gospels, uh, His annunciation, the, the message of Angel Gabriel to Zechariah uh, of His coming birth and His ministry was uh, foremost and first uh, before uh, Gabriel spoke to Mary and, and talked about the coming Messiah. So John the Baptist is first on the list to uh, look at during our harmony of the Gospels. Where are we in John? John chapter 1. <clears throat> of course, the Gospel writer of John, John the Apostle, uh, gives us the uh, pre-existence of Christ, but in the course of his narrative, he introduces John the Baptist as a man sent from God. And in verse 7, we find that, uh, verse 6, let me just uh, start there. John writes, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. This is talking about the Messiah. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness of Him, bore witness of Jesus, and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we all we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who was in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And um, 
Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, excuse me, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Uh, Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 34. The next day John saw Jesus toward, uh, Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah. He came before the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry on the earth, preparing the way for the uh, the Lord Jesus. And He came trying to prepare the hearts of the people to receive the Messiah and His message. Now we... We ended last week concerning John's unique privilege, and we were we quickly referred to his him being the herald of Christ's arrival. We find that in this passage that uh, that John the Baptist said, "I am one a voice of one crying in the wilderness." John the Baptist was a a very humble man. He was a great man, a great prophet of God. He was a man sent from God and was well regarded in that respect. But he identified himself not as a man sent from God, but simply a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And we'll see momentarily later on in the lesson that John the Baptist's attitude was that the Lord Jesus must increase And that He Himself must decrease. And much different than the attitude of many today. Most of us want the prestige and the fame and the recognition and the accolades of man. But John the Baptist didn't want any of that. He was constantly pointing to the Messiah. He was pointing to the One that would come after Him. He was pointing to the One that was greater than He. And he took that humble position uh, as a result. And it even says in verse 29 that when he saw Jesus coming, 
uh, he pointed to him and, and recognized him and identified him and introduced him as, Behold, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And testified also that, this, that Jesus was and is the Son of God. So uh, we find that John's unique privilege of introducing the Messiah to the nation of Israel as a fulfillment of the prophetic utterances of the Old Testament, we find was a special, special privilege. And uh, he was letting people know uh, without, in no uncertain terms that Jesus was the Messiah, the fulfillment. And he made it very clear. So, we see John's unique recognition also here. And again, I reiterate that John humbly uh, recognized his subordinate role to the Lord Jesus Christ. When questioned by the Levites and the priests uh, who he was, he said, who are you? They wanted to know. Because remember, for 400 years or so, there was silence. There was no voice of the prophet being heard in the nation of Israel. Between at, the, at Malachi's end to the beginning of the New Testament, about a 400-year span, no prophet was uh, preaching the the God, uh, the the kingdom of God, or the the word of God. No new revelation was given, and so things were silent. So they wanted to know who he was, and it's interesting that uh, how they asked him. Uh, they wanted to know first of all, foremost, are you uh, the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Understand, and I know that I've said this before, but sometimes it bears uh, repeating for our memory's sake. Christ is not really Jesus' last name. Christ means the, the, the anointed one, the Messiah. That's who He's referred to. Actually, Jesus was known and regarded in the Gospels as Jesus the Nazarite. Uh, the uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and uh, but Jesus the Christ is how it really should be uh, spoken. Instead of Jesus Christ, it should be Jesus the Christ. But we all leave out the the because it just you know that's how we that's why we talk you know. But it's nothing wrong with it. But I just wanted you to understand that the reason that sometimes it just refers to Christ. Uh, is referring to the Messiah, the Anointed One. Uh, and, and, yes, sir. Well, the D has been the definite article. Identifies him as the Messiah. Right, right, exactly. And uh, in the original, it refers to the Christ. Uh, and uh, along that note, and I think I've mentioned it here a time, probably whenever we were teaching the book of John, <laughs> Uh, but I'll remind you of this, <clears throat> that I've noted, whether it's right or wrong, you can take it what, it what it's worth, but whenever sometimes the wording of the Lord Jesus' name, it refers to Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus in the Scriptures. You ever recognized and noted that, that sometimes it's flipped? Uh, in my studies, I have recognized or I've come to understand that when it refers to Jesus Christ, the context of that wording is referring to the humanity of the Lord Jesus. It's bringing out some kind of human aspect. Jesus Christ was tired. Jesus Christ was weary. Jesus Christ had compassion on the multitude, etc. 
when it speaks of Christ Jesus, it brings out in the context the deity of Christ. It talks about the miracle, or it talks about the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Christ Jesus. Uh, and that's just in my study. And there may be some exceptions to that, but the majority of the time, whenever those uh, the wording is that way, that's what I have discovered, that's what I have found. So, just, uh, you know, whenever you see that, and it, don't let it throw you, but kind of take note of the context in which it's found, and I think you'll discover uh, that, that kind of truth coming forth. But we find that the priests and Levites asked John specifically, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And we find that, uh, uh, that John very quickly denies that, I am not the Christ. Um, if you'll take your hold your place in in John and turn back to Luke chapter three. Luke chapter three and verse fifteen. Luke chapter three and verse fifteen, we find that the uh, the writer Luke says that now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. So this was a common thought throughout the populace of that day. Once they heard the, uh, John preach the repentance and baptism and begin to preach the truth of God, the people were drawn to Him. They begin to think in their mind, well, maybe this is the Messiah. And reason that they uh, were in anticipation in the, in the probability of this being uh, taking place was that the Israel, the, the, the teachers of Israel, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the teachers of the law, they understood from the prophet Daniel and, and others that the time frame that it was getting, uh, getting very close to the appearance of the Messiah. Uh, of course, you know, you have to go through a whole study of prophecy and all that kind of stuff to get this, uh, but uh, just to suffice it to say, they were looking in anticipation for the Messiah's coming at this time. They were looking for a different kind of Messiah than, than what showed up, but nonetheless, they were looking for the Messiah somewhere in their, uh, in their present day future, um, in their time frame. Uh, so they were looking with anticipation. They were being, the, the people were being taught this in the synagogues. So they were thinking, wow, well, maybe this is the Messiah. Listen to the difference of the message of John the Baptist as compared to the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders of our day. The message is so different and so strong and is, is such an uh, impactful, life-changing message. So they were looking. So they asked and, and they were concerned about that. But John the Baptist quickly denied being the Messiah. Now, uh, in our day, you know, not long ago, I was um, we had the History Channel on, I think it was, and it was talking about the different uh, cult leaders. And within my lifetime, Jim Jones and the David uh, Koresh and Waco and stuff like that. You know, a lot of times when people start uh, 
lifting up the the individual, the leader, the speaker, then sometimes if they're not careful, it can go to their head and really warp their thinking and, and just and I believe that that's a lot of what happened with these two guys. Uh, you know, I have a lot of other opinions. I'm not going into that, but uh, that's enough. Uh, but but John did not uh, entertain any of those thoughts. He didn't. He pushed that aside very quickly. And uh, one along that line, and let me just uh, I give you this one for free. That uh, one of the the ways to keep pride from building up. Whenever, if you're in the ministry, if you're active in doing things for the Lord and such as that, uh, and I've tried to make a practice of this uh, because I know myself uh, well enough uh, that whenever someone, and, and it's nothing wrong with uh, saying, wow, you did a good job, a pat on the back, or an encouragement word, or something like that, great job, all that kind of stuff. Nothing wrong with that. When it becomes wrong is whenever you grab hold of that and allow that to, to formulate into pride and to look what I have done. So, you know, the best thing to do is just as soon as you get that kind of uh, that accolade or, or that recognition, just say you know, what I try to practice is, well, to God be the glory. Thank you, Jesus. He allowed that to happen. He, incur- he, 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 he enabled me to do it. Point it and give it and throw it back to the Lord and lay it at His feet. And uh, so that way the pride doesn't have a, uh, as easy of a time to take root within your heart and mind. But that's, that's free. But John didn't, that's exactly what John did. John the Baptist, he didn't, he didn't take that and, and let it uh, rest within his uh, mind or his heart. And it says in verse 16 of Luke 3, John answered, saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he continues. So, uh, we find that uh, John the Baptist takes that position. But then the, the Levites and the scribe, uh, priests, they ask, okay, if you're not the Christ, are you Elijah? I find this interesting, the different questions, the identities they want to know if he is one of these. Why would they say to John the Baptist, are you Elijah? You know, Elijah was a prophet well known by Israel uh, centuries before John the Baptist's existence, and now they want to know if he's Elijah. Why would they question if he was Elijah? So, if you'll turn to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi, chapter 4, last chapter in Malachi. In fact, the last uh, couple of verses in Malachi. Malachi, chapter 4. So Elijah, let me just, while you're turning there, just kind of give you a little brief synopsis of who Elijah was. He was a very powerful prophet of God. He had, God used him to perform, uh, I believe it was uh, seven or eight miracles, uh, including raising someone up from the dead. But his most noted miracle was that he was on the Mount of Carmel and he faced off by himself 
the false prophets of Baal, and he, he drew a line in the sand, so to speak, and told the, uh, the people, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to put the test. Uh, the, the God who answers by fire, a sacrifice, uh, we'll just call him God. If Baal answers by fire and consumes the sacrifice, then he's God. But if the Lord Jehovah answers with fire, then we'll serve him, and he is God. So he calls, and, and the, the whole setting was they prepare an altar. Each one, the false prophets prepare an altar. Elijah prepares an altar, puts the sacrifice there, and then they, Elijah says, You go first, guys. There's 400 and something of you. Uh, surely this won't take long. Uh, but uh, he encourages them to pray to Baal and answers with fire uh, and nothing happened. And he even kind of makes fun of them. He wasn't politically correct. You know, he, he, he not by a long shot was he politically correct. He made fun of the prophets of Baal. So it came Elijah's turn and so he wanted to make sure there was no doubt whatsoever about what was going to happen. And he doused his sacrifice with water. It was flooded. There's no way just a spark could ignite the, the sacrifice. Something definite would have to happen. So he prayed. I think it's like a 20-word prayer. And God rained fire down from heaven, not only consumed the sacrifice, but consumed the altar and evaporated all the water that was around it. No doubt who was God. And so, uh, and Elijah was one of those strong voiced prophets and he had a wild, eccentric air about him. And he, he, you know, so they, in the people's mind, John the Baptist kind of fit this bill, the way he was preaching, the way he looked, the way he handled himself. And so they ask, are you Elijah? But there's more than that. Because Malachi, the prophet, says in verse 5 of Malachi 4, Behold, the Lord says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So they were thinking, well, maybe this is the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. Elijah's back on the scene. Okay, here Elijah, or here John the Baptist is. He identified himself as a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. A lot of uh, about what was uh, worded there in Malachi, and in fact, the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that his ministry was that he would be uh, effective in turning the hearts of the people back to the Lord and the, and the sons to the fathers and the fathers to the sons. So they're thinking, okay, this is bound to be Elijah. So, you know, the, and, but notice the dreadful day of the Lord in Malachi. That's referring to the second advent. That's whenever Jesus comes the Lord Jesus comes and establishes His kingdom upon this earth, sits on the throne of David, rules and reigns for a thousand years, and uh, that's that's called that's at the end of the tribulation. There's a day of Christ, there's a day of the Lord. The day of Christ, I believe, refers to uh, the rapture of the church. The day of the Lord refers to Jesus actually coming back to the earth. Now. <clears throat> 
we find that the people want, or the priests and the Levites want to know, is he Elijah? He says, no, emphatic, no, I'm not Elijah. So, the, yes, sir. Maybe I hadn't thought about that. So they, maybe they want to know if their their uh, employment was in jeopardy, huh? <laughs> uh, maybe so. I hadn't thought about that. But we find that not only did they ask if John was Elijah, but then they go and say, "Are you the prophet?" Wow. Okay. Now wait a minute. They ask if he was Elijah, the prophet. He said, no. Now they just say, are you the prophet? So where did that come from? So if you'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Where is it? That's the fifth book in the Bible. It's in your Bible somewhere, unless you got one of those new versions. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now, I don't know about your version, but in my version of Scripture, the word prophet in, in, in John is capitalized. Is it yours? John chapter 1, whatever it was, verse uh, something. Is yours capitalized? The word prophet, name prophet? Verse 21. Are you the prophet? Okay. It's capitalized. Okay. Now, it's in, again, let me just give you a little tidbit of Bible study kind of tools. As you look at things like that and you see this, something like the, the title prophet, if it's capitalized, you ought to take notice of that because it is referring to something other than just a normal prophet in the Old Testament. And this is referring, basically, we're going to show this here in just a moment, but it's referring to the Lord Jesus. Um, it's a, a title given to Him as well. <laughs> in Deuteronomy, the writer that was used of the Holy Spirit to write the book of Deuteronomy was Moses. And this is his final book. This is the fifth book of the Bible. In the, in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are referred to as the Torah, which are regarded as the supreme Scriptures in the eyes of the priests and the Levites that are here uh, questioning John the Baptist. And the the law of Moses. I mean, they highly regarded the law of Moses, and this that's the referring to the first five books of the of the Bible. And so, in his writing in Deuteronomy chapter eighteen, and Deuteronomy, if you would, as you read Deuteronomy, you'll find a lot of similarities of some of the other writings that he uh, transcribed in the other four books. It's kind of a reminder, and it is a reminder. The book of Deuteronomy basically can be read as 
Moses' last words to the nation of Israel that he led out of Egypt going into the uh, promised land because he knows now that he's not going to enter in. He's giving there his last words of instruction and encouragement and reminding them from where they came and to where they're headed. And as he begins to un- unveil that and write this and share that, He says in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 18, He says, And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up, and it's referring to God, the Father, says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, a prophet like Moses, from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now this is referring to the Messiah, Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And notice in this uh, this verse, God says, I will raise up for them a prophet um, among their brethren. John chapter 1 says that the Word came and became flesh and dwelt among His brethren. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. Talking about the nation of Israel, the Jewish populace. He said, I'm going to raise up that prophet among you, among the brethren. He's going to be of Jewish descent. He is going to be a Jew. He is going to be someone of your race, your family. He's going to be known by you. Not going to be a stranger. Not going to be a Gentile. He's not going to be someone that you're not going to be able to listen to. You're going to readily recognize Him as your own. So, He says that among your brethren. Now notice, very strange wording next. And we'll put, or I will, God says, I will put my words in His mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. Hmm. Everybody go, hmm. <laughs> things that make you go, hmm. A lot of things in the Bible that makes you go, hmm. You ought to go, hmm, and think about what you've just read. God's talking about Jesus, the Messiah, his son, deity. We've already looked in from the very first of our study of the harmony of the Gospels that Jesus Christ is the Word, the eternal Word, the deity of Christ. We've brought that out. His pre-existence, His eternality. uh, And He is God. And yet, here we find that God's told Moses that I am going to put my words in His mouth and He'll speak what I have commanded Him. That should make you question well what a, how does that work how does that really fulfill so John chapter 12 John chapter 12 keep that in your mind now what we just read out of Deuteronomy John chapter 12 Well, it's not a trick. It's kind of an employment of trying to do that. You know? 
let you know that all of it goes together. I want you to know and learn that the Old Testament goes with the New Testament, the New Testament goes with the Old Testament. You cannot divide the two. They're all one. I know we divide it, Old Testament, New Testament, but they're all one. Uh, and you need but one to understand the other. Vice versa. Yes, sir. Another definite article. The Bible means the book. The book. It ain't didn't say books. That's right. The book. That's right. So John chapter 12, the last two verses, 49 and 50. Now, I'm going to read. Hold, Just hold your place in John. And I'm going to read to you again Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. John twelve forty nine. Jesus said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak... Just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Does that not sound like a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18? And does it not sound like the unity of the Trinity, the Father and the Son? They are one. Later on, uh, earlier uh, in John 10, uh, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. That pretty much solidifies that unity among the Father and the Son, the Trinity. So, back to John 1. So, the priests and the Levites ask, are you the Christ? John the Baptist says, of course not. Uh, Emphatic, not. Are you uh, Elijah? No, I am not. Are you the prophet? No, I am not. And we we find that uh, the, the Christ and the prophet both refer to the Messiah, the coming one, the anointed one. And John humbly identifies himself simply as a voice rather than a person. He wants no mistake of the fact that he is not the Messiah. He is not the Christ. John always, his entire ministry, his entire life is about pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants no recognition of himself. He only wants people to be uh, to come to know Jesus. John did not desire to be seen. He only desired to be heard. He aimed all his focus and attention toward Christ Jesus. And again, I reiterate John 3 and verse 30, where John the Baptist said, referring to Jesus, He must increase and I must decrease. And then... It, as we continue to read in John chapter 1, John the Baptist recognized Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And <clears throat> uh, back in John 1, and verse... Uh, verse 30. John 1.30. This is He of whom I said, referring to Jesus, He had just identified in verse 29 as the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. Let me go back to verse 29. Let me start back there first. I want to, I want to bring out a very important point on verse 29. 
John 1.29, John the Baptist identified Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. Now, those of you that were present during my teaching on John have heard a lot of this, but I'm going to reiterate it. And uh, if you don't want to listen to it, just close your ears. That's fine. This is for the new guys and gals that are in here. John the Baptist said that Jesus was the Lamb. He didn't identify Him as the Son of God then. He didn't identify Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He did not identify Him as uh, the, the Creator of the world. John the Baptist identified Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. The big question is why? He could have used any other term. He could have said this is the prophet that was prophesied by Moses and Deuteronomy, they just got through asking about this. This is the the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, He could have identified Him in so many different ways, but yet He identified Him as a Lamb. And the reason being, I believe, is because the whole Old Testament is pointing to the Redeemer of mankind that is yet to come to be the fulfillment of redemption for man's sin. All the way back to Genesis 3.15 where God Himself prophesied to Eve and Adam that He was going to send one uh, uh, born seed of the woman uh, to be the Redeemer as pictured through the the sacrificial uh, lamb there in the Garden of Eden all the way through in Isaiah the prophet and prophet uh, Isaiah 53. He wanted people to know. John the Baptist wanted Israel to know this is the Redeemer, the Lamb of God. The Lamb was regarded as the ultimate sacrifice for sin, for mankind, for your atonement, for your redemption, for your way back to God. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And the perfect Lamb, without blemish and without spot, was regarded as the the sin offering to go to God. Jesus was identified as the Lamb of God to take away Not the sins, plural. Not the sins. Notice the wording. When you study the Scriptures, notice the wording. The sin. He came to take away the sin. Singular sin of the world. So there's a difference in the way you read it. If if He said, John John the Baptist has said, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, then we would be just totally confused even more than what we are now. Say, well, why are all these sins still prevalent today? But John the Baptist said, Jesus was the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So they're singular in Romans 6.23, the sin, the wages, the price of sin is death. The, the gift, singular, of God is eternal life in it, through Jesus Christ. So here's what John the Baptist was saying, what the Scriptures are saying. Jesus Christ is the ultimate supreme sacrifice to bear the penalty of mankind's sin. What is the problem between a holy God and mankind? Sin is what separates us. 
sin, the sin nature, the sin, not sins as in uh, symptomatic evidences of our heart problem. It is talking about the root of the problem, and that is the heart problem. We are sin sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God deals with the sin problem of mankind through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And He came to bear the wrath and the weight of sin upon Himself. When Jesus hung on the cross, the very wrath of God was poured out upon Him for the penalty of all sin. Mankind's sin. Not sins, but sin. Singular. He was dealing with the root of the problem. You eliminate the root, you eliminate the fruit. that makes sense? So if our fruit is sinful, sin evidenced, then there's something wrong with the root. Okay? That's what Jesus said in His teaching. Out of the heart proceeds these things that defile a man. It's not what comes into a man that defiles a man. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles a man. God always is interested and focused on the heart. And Jesus came to be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. John uh, writes in 1 John, he said, the purpose of Jesus is to come to destroy the work of the devil. Destroy the work of the devil. What work was he talking about? The work that brought man into sin. His deceptiveness, his deceit, his wickedness in, in defiling mankind with sin and disobedience to God. So what the devil did, Jesus came and countered that. The wages of sin is death. That's the works of the devil. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's, to me, the main significance of John 1.29 and the identification of the Lord Jesus as being the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. You have something, Leonard? Okay. <laughs> so, we look that Jesus was recognized in in. in at his baptism. Let me go back to verse 30 of John 1. And this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him. Now notice that. John said, testified, I did not know him. Referring to Jesus being the Messiah. Now, as we study, or will study, Elizabeth, John's mother, and Mary, Jesus' mother, were relatives. So Mary knew Elizabeth, Elizabeth knew Mary, but now John says, I did not know him. Now that can be taken a couple of ways. Number one, it could be that uh, John did not know Jesus, knew of him, because Elizabeth would... His mother maybe talked about Mary having a son and called his name Jesus. They may have talked about it. Uh, but yet, you know, he did not really know him. Now, you know, they lived in different places. 
And guess what? There was no such thing as FaceTime. There was no Snapchat. There was no Skype. There was no social media at that time. There was no television. There was no things to record pictures and say, hey, look, this is Jesus, your cousin over in Nazareth. Uh, oh, okay, I know what He looks like now. Nothing like that. And they didn't have, um, you know, uh, you know, I know the disciples in Acts chapter 2, they drove Hondas. Did y'all know that? <laughs> because it says they came together in one accord. You know what I'm saying? No. No. But they didn't have Hondas yet in John's day. Uh, so they didn't, they weren't back and forth. You know, they traveled, they traveled by mule, they traveled by foot, and they did not travel a lot. In fact, historians say that Jesus only traveled about the average of about a 200 mile radius, and all by foot. He never got out of Israel much. He, you know, he went through Samaria, but through that region, he never got out. He didn't go across the water. He didn't go into another uh, country. Uh, for say. So John and Jesus may not have ever met. Or, that's one way of looking at it, or it could be that John might and Jesus may have known each other, been acquainted, but he had not recognized him yet as the Messiah. That's what my Bible says. Recognize. Recognize. Instead of know. Well, is yours the King James? No. No, this is Bo's Bible. <laughs> well, I know that's inspired. But anyway, notes but in it in, to me. I guess. But here, here's where, here's what I really think that this is talking about. I think it's the second application. I think that John did not necessarily recognize Jesus as the Messiah until the baptism. Now, let's read. It says, I did, verse 31, John 1, I did not know Him, but that He should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and He remained upon Him. I did not know Him, but He who sent me to baptize with water said to me. So he had a message from God. He had an understanding from the Lord. Here's how you're going to know the Messiah. You're the forerunner of the Messiah. You're the one that's coming before Him, preparing the way for Him. Here's how you're going to recognize Him when He comes on the scene. He says, uh, uh, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, this is He who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And John said, I have seen and I testify now, this is the Son of God. Now, let's talk about that picture of the baptism of Jesus just a moment. I'm running out of time? Really? Oh, I'd be glad when the time changes. I'll have another hour. <laughs> Well, I guess we'll, I'll end with this and then we'll finish up next week on John's death. And we'll probably get more in detail of this as we continue in the study of the harmony. But I want, I want you to understand something. The Bible says that uh, when Jesus was baptized, 
It says that the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, like a dove. Let me see. I'm sure I've got that somewhere. Like a dove. Like a dove. Like a dove. Let me. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. 32. Okay. Like a dove. And it's also in Matthew chapter 3 in the last few verses there. But it says like a dove. Now I understand the artist's portrayal of the Holy Spirit. They portray Him as a dove. Okay? Throughout Scripture, there's several things that identify uh, the Holy Spirit. There's oil, there's water, there's a, the dove, uh, and such. But, you know, I, I don't want you to be... Misled. Uh, good word. Misled. To believe that the Holy Spirit is a dove. It's like a dove. Again, Bible study tip. Note the wording, like a dove. Throughout the parables, when we get to, into Jesus' ministry, many times in His parables, He'll say the kingdom of heaven is like, or as a... He's making a comparison. He's not saying emphatically, this is what it's like. He's saying He's comparing it, giving you something that you can identify with to relate to in order to help understand it. So the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove. He, 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 in some kind of form, and John said it looked like a dove resting upon Him. He just knew that it was the Holy Spirit. It was fulfillment of what God had said. In, in Acts chapter 2, uh, the Holy Spirit came as tongues of fire, like tongue, like tongues of fire. You know? So the Holy Spirit is identifying Himself. And it also says that at the baptism of, of Jesus, there was a voice that rattled heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist heard that message. Other people thought it was thundering. He heard it. He understood the message. That's why he said, I definitely testify this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist was fulfilling his ministry being the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah, and he was appointing people to the Lord Jesus and identifying Him as the Messiah. That was his unique recognition and his privilege. Yes, sir? Say that again. They changed Cole's mode of transportation from helicopter to airplane. airplane. She's talking about his grandson. Oh, oh, okay. That's all I know. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking, John the Baptist, helicopter, airplane. I was wondering how in the world did I get that in there? I'm thinking, I'm thinking, boy, my, I, I was thinking my communication skills really need to be worked on. <laughs> all right, all right. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the last and final point. You got something else, Leonard? Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. Help us to receive your truths and apply them to our life. I pray, Father, you'll be with us in our service as we go into it. Bless the singing. Prepare our hearts and minds to hear from you. Give us ears to hear what you have to say. Bless our pastor as he speaks. Speak through him and may we hear your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.